0: Hey, I know you're excited to dive into today's episode, but real quick, I want to invite you to a free event in which I am hosting. Kicking off on Monday, July 17th, is Blossom and Arise, a free five-day challenge that is designed to help you create, embrace, and ultimately step into your next best chapter of life. Sound intriguing? If so, sign up is free head on over to grit slash challenge that link is found inside of today's show notes enjoy the episode
1: but i learned how to speak camel yes <laughs> in that couple of minutes because it really really freaked me out and basically this camel was saying i don't get paid enough for this job. I want to raise. I like the other one much better. Get this. Get this mother off of me. Give me back the young, pretty one. Or I quit. Simple as that. I quit.
0: Welcome to Grit, Grace and Inspiration. I'm your host, Kevin Lowe, and I'm excited to welcome you inside. What's going on, my friend? How are you today? Welcome back to Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. My name is Kevin Lowe, and today is episode number 173. When we talk about bucket list items, what is number one on yours? Well, for Margie Haddad, it was to ride a camel through the Sahara Desert at sunrise. Now, what we don't realize when we talk about bucket list items is what's really involved in making that come true. Now, I guess it kind of depends what that bucket list item is. But for something such as riding a camel through the Sahara Desert at sunrise, well, it involves a lot. And a lot, well, that means some funny stories, some waking up super early, and, well, landing on podcasts to talk about it. But... My interview with Marjorie, it's about more than just riding camels. It's about a woman with an adventurous spirit behind her. Because riding camels at sunset is not the only adventurous thing Marjorie has done. No. Matter of fact, it goes back to her deciding that she was going to move from America to Israel. And wow, what a change that would be. Not only just a change in location, but a change in life, a new life, a new destination, a new start. And wow, what a life she has built for herself. Margie has raised three amazing children, all thanks to skills she didn't even realize she was using. Because, see, Margie has been a PR executive for over 30 years. And without even realizing it, she was using those same skills to help raise her children. And so Margie would end up realizing, hey, you know what? I am using my PR skills and maybe others can do the same. So Margie has actually written a book called Power of PR Parenting, which discusses her story and how she used these PR skills to be a parent. Now, before you think, well, that sounds weird, which maybe it does sound a little bit weird, but it works. And when you meet Margie inside of today's episode, you're going to understand why. And I think you're going to get real excited to explore this idea a little bit more. So if you're ready to ride some camels, if you're ready to move across the world, and you're ready to discover a new way of parenting, well... Then today's episode is for you, my friend. With that said, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Margie Haddad as we catch up to speed on her adventure, riding camels in the Sahara at Sunrise. Bucket list complete. So I was
1: participating in a destination wedding in Morocco of one of my friends, and I had the very good fortune to be able to travel and participate along with my husband and my two daughters. I have three children. My son was occupied with another opportunity at the time, so it was the girls and my husband. And as part of this destination wedding, they took us on a camel ride at sunrise in the Sahara Desert. So now I can honestly say that when I use the expression as dry as the Sahara Desert or as hot as the Sahara Desert. Since I was there at the hottest point in the year, which is August, I know exactly what that means. (laughs) (laughs) And it is hot, and it is really dry, and you have to drink. Even if you drink lots and lots of water, you still dehydrate pretty quickly. Yes. So we got up literally at... Forget dawn. It was before dawn. It was two or three in the morning. Oh, wow. And interestingly enough, I had a migraine from dehydration from the day before. And I said to myself, this is your opportunity to do this. It's not going to happen again anytime soon. So I scraped myself out of my bed and took a couple of Advil, (laughs) grabbed my girls, slid downstairs to the lobby of the hotel. We were wrapped up in those head wraps. Okay. That they put on the Berber women. And ultimately they also put me in a Berber woman dress. And we got into a cab and we drove in the dead of the night out to the desert. And it's basically pitch black other than the the headlights of the taxis and you're driving and driving and driving and driving. And then finally you arrive to this sea of camels <clears throat> and a sea of their guides in front of the camels. You get out of the taxi and you're basically assigned to a guide. And I have to tell you, Kevin, it was a really, really impactful experience we were assigned a camel it's not like a horse right where you put your foot in the stirrup and then slide over the top of the horse the camel actually sits down you get on the camel and then you have to hold on really really tightly as the camel stands up so you don't fall off okay so that was part one Okay. then you're in this entourage just like in the movies it's one camel after the other Right. So you're in this long line, this caravan, if you will. And as you're walking out into the, well, walking, riding out into the Sahara Desert, all of a sudden the light from the sun starts to illuminate this vast area. And as it illuminates the area, you see all of the flowers and plants. And anything else that lives in the desert. And the light just bounces off of the sand. And I must say, it's an extremely magical experience to a point where I thought, wow. And I actually started to tear up, understanding just how special it was not only to be doing it, but to be doing it with my daughters and to share this experience with them. And when we finished at a certain point, we got off the camels, we had some tea, the kids played in the sand, they had carpets where you could slide down the hills of the sand. And the guide explained to us perspective in terms of geographically where we were. And then it was time to get back on the camel and go back because you want to be back before it gets too wicked hot out there. Okay. On the way back, we kind of changed camels. And I think I got onto my one of my daughter's camels, and as the camel stood up, they made it very, very clear that they were not pleased with the passenger choice. <laughs> he started carrying. I'm not sure okay. if it was a he or she, but they started carrying on, and a, <laughs> enough that I had a camel impression at one point that cracked everybody up. But I learned how to speak camel. Yes. In that couple of minutes, because it really, really freaked me out. And basically, this camel was saying, I don't get paid enough for this job. I want to raise. I like the other one much better. Get this this mother off of me. Give me back the young, pretty one. Or I quit. Simple as that. I quit. (laughs) And the guide came over and stared this camel down, literally eye to eye. Didn't say a word, just stared him down in the eyes. And then the camel settled down. But I was afraid the camel was going to bite me or something like that because his head was swinging all over the place. <laughs> oh, no. As we're going back, I'm telling you, Kevin, the bride back was, couldn't have been short enough for me. You know, I'm like, get me off of this thing before <laughs> this animal bites me. So I learned how to see camel. And I got back on the bus and I started doing my camel impression and everyone was just laughing. And then I made my translation and that became the story of the trip.
0: Oh, my goodness. That is hysterical. Now, the camels, do they put some type of like a saddle on them or are you just like bareback?
1: I believe we had it. There must have been a saddle. I need to look at the pictures again. But I think, yeah, there was a saddle and there was something to hang on to. You have to really hang on. It's not an easy ride up or down. Down is actually harder because like you're literally going from a very high level and then to the ground floor, if you will. And you don't want to fall off and you don't want to come into contact with the front of the camel. At least I didn't. They're not very nice animals, quite frankly. (laughs) I'm telling you how fabulous the experience was and the ride and the caravan and the the sunrise. But the animal itself, not a big fan. (laughs) especially after <laughs> after after being blacklisted from this one camel who didn't want to take me for a ride.
0: Oh my goodness, that is hysterical. So so that is just I think this like amazing way to start off this this conversation today because obviously you've had a sense of adventure about you. I'm assuming always because In 1995, you decided to move abroad, living in America, and decide you're going to move to Israel. True. Tell me about what was going on in life at that point.
1: What was going on in life at that point? Well, I was definitely ready for an adventure. And I was invited to move to Israel. And it was during what was the Oslo Accords. And I was working as the media liaison for the Israeli government in New England at the time. And they invited me to come and work at what I call main campus, which is the headquarters of the Israeli foreign ministry in Jerusalem, and to write background papers for the bilateral track talks for the Oslo Accords and write speeches for the diplomats. And I thought, Well, that sounds like fun because I just finished a master's degree in international relations. So, hey, they're going to pay me to do what I just did in school. That's cool. And (laughs) I was ready to move to a foreign land and, and what I thought would be exotic and better weather and really great food and culture, et cetera, et cetera. And so I got out on an airplane and moved to Israel and I was young and single and ambitious and ready to roll with whatever the future brought. That was 28 years ago. Kevin.
0: Wow. 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 Wow! That's yeah. incredible.
1: And I can honestly tell you that the adventure continues until today.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I love it. I absolutely love that so much. Now, now talk to me about life. I mean, moving from america to israel i mean i'm just kind of curious about what that was like for you was it an easy transition was it difficult was there anything that like kind of stands out in your your mind as we we look back at that time in your life that you know is is a either a funny story a scary story anything like that
1: it was a huge culture shock it's one thing to go and visit a country it's another thing to move to it you know Yes. And I was fortunate because I have a sister who lives here. So I had family, which was really important. I also had a job, which is really important. And eventually, about six weeks into my stay, I met my husband. So things worked out for me, luckily. And I think when you go to another country and you get used to the new protocol and the way things work, and how things operate, I think there's always a transition. And even until the, today, I'm surprised by things here. <laughs> because, you know, just when you think you've got it all figured out, guess what? But, you know, at the core of it, I'm like this mix of American and Israeli. I've picked up both cultural traits, and, you know, maintain my Americanism, picked up some Israeli isms, like being direct. And I have to remember when I go back to the United States, who I'm speaking to and to soften things up. And then when I come back to Israel, I have to remind myself to be more direct. And in the United States, my family and friends call me the Israeli. And when I'm in Israel, they call me the American. So it's this kind of mixture. (laughs) And I speak Hebrew with a very heavy American accent, which my children are not a fan of. So they just say, mom, just stick to the English. And <laughs> overall, I would say that daily daily life is the same anywhere you are. You wake up, you put yourself together. If you're a parent, you pull your kids together. You get them to school on time. You go to your job. You work your job. You come home, play dates, and... Afternoon activities, then there's dinner, then there's bath, then there's bed, then there's watch whatever your favorite TV show is, or read your book, or both. Go to sleep. Then I just describe what everybody's life kind of looks like if the parents.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah.
1: You know, if there's certain things that are universal and happen no matter where you live, the difference in Israel as a general rule. They speak Hebrew here. I mean, everybody speaks English, but the the common language is Hebrew. And they're more direct here than they are in the States. In the States, things are between the lines and things are done with a smile. And here, they're very direct and not necessarily with a smile, but you know exactly where you stand.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is amazing. Wow, wow, wow. So... I I just I don't know. I just sit there and think to myself, like, how awesome is that, that you you made this big move and kind of going back to where you were starting at is that not only you made this move. Now, you mentioned that your sister was already living there, which is which is, is great. But then even you said, I mean, six weeks later, you you meet the man that you would end up marrying. I mean, how crazy
1: is that? It's really crazy. The universe, I really think, manages to make things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And I've been married for, gosh, coming up on, well, 26 and a half years at this point and still happily married. And the kids are doing great. Even the dog is behaving himself most of the time. And, you know, he's we have a Maltese. And I don't know if you know anything about the breed, but they like to mark their territory often. (laughs) So little Rocky, little Rocky. Rocky is in a room somewhere else in this house right now so that he doesn't interrupt with barking because Rocky runs the show around here. And yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's really crazy how everything worked out. I mean, I started over at the foreign ministry. I worked my way into commercial PR and eventually opened up my own company coming up on 23 years ago, actually, when my second, after my second child was born. And I've been in medical PR for the last 22 years and I work with med tech companies and pharmaceutical companies with a specialty in cell therapy and in diabetes, telling their stories and helping them out internationally. And it's it's been a blessing to work with the best and the brightest and to know the medical advancements that are in development and on their way to helping people worldwide. And it's absolutely been a, a pleasure and a privilege. And I continue to do that until this day. I, I still do it.
0: Yeah. What led you to that line of work?
1: Well, public relations, because I've always, you know, I've been in it since the Israeli government. And then I when I went to work with the agencies, I was what you would call a generalist. So whatever they gave me to promote, I promote. The reason why I got into medical PR in my private practice was because we had a family member who was ill and she had lung fibrosis. And I was looking for a clinical trial to help her. And Israel is the land of medical technology, startup nation type thing. And I figured if it was being developed, it was likely being developed here. So I started researching. And as I did, I found this company that was literally developing something for this indication, this condition. And during a conversation with the CEO, he said, you know what? We could use public relations. Would you be interested? And I didn't have any medical background, but he was willing to give me a chance. And it worked out beautifully. And that's how I got into medical. And he was actually on, I think it was CNBC with a a report, CNBC or CNN. I don't remember which one, but it was an international network and it was a beautiful piece. And that's how I started. And that was literally 22 years ago. Wow.
0: Well, that's just wonderful. I love it. Now, in the realm of PR, I know that something I think is very interesting and something that I'm anxious to learn more about is mm-hmm. you do something that you call PR parenting. So I'm assuming <laughs> yeah, you took yeah. your your career and used it in raising your children. So talk to me a little bit more about that. That
1: is a true story, Kevin. But with one caveat I didn't know I was doing it while I was doing it. (laughs) Completely (laughs) retrospective. Okay. All right. So here's the thing. We all have our skill sets. We all have our superpowers. Everybody has the thing that they do well. They say, you know, you should leave your job at the job. Don't bring it home. Well, in my particular case, I'll speak for myself. I found it very naturally to use PR to bring up my kids. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time. It was kind of a lightning bolt realization Uh, during a discussion with one of my children. I was sitting on the couch and she was telling me about this friend of hers in the army who had recently gotten married and was thinking about having kids and pursuing a career And she said that she was concerned she wouldn't be able to juggle the two. And my daughter looked at her and said, what are you talking about? My mother's been doing this for 25 years, this juggling act. Of course you can do it. She said, mom, you made mistakes, but overall, I think you got it right. I think that you should help the next generation to learn from your experience and expertise. And I thought, well, first of all, can I have that in writing that I got something right? (laughs) <laughs> and she laughed. And <laughs> how often do you get validated by your own child, right? And the other thing was I thought, well, what is it that I did right? And when I looked back, I understood that I had used my professional skills to bring up my kids. And I decided to write a book about it. But I wanted to write a book that started helping the next generation of moms and interested dads with real practical advice based on things that they were going through. I didn't just want to do this randomly. So I consulted with a couple of moms with, you know, kids from something like four to 10 years old, something like that. And I said, what do you want to know? And I'll tell you quite practically, based on your questions, how to approach these issues using public relations strategies, and tactics, and tools, and the rest of it. And that's how the book was born. And it comes out on April 4th, and it's called The Power of PR Parenting, How to Raise Confident, Resilient, and Successful Children Using Public Relations Strategies. The publisher is Muse Literary out of Chicago, which is run by Sarah Cannell and Patricia Fores. And anybody who's interested in Keeping up to date with what's going on is invited to join the community because we're going to have a PR parenting community. And the website is PR for F-O-R period life, L-I-F-E. And let's get into it. You know, I want to be there to help the next generation and honor my promise to my daughter to help today's and future moms. You know, the thing is, is that I hope that this starts now, but I hope that it continues for generations to come and that PR parenting actually becomes a thing. And Kevin, I'm going to start a program on May 24th, a five-week program. So anyone who wants to really deep dive can do so with my coaching and we can get into whatever your particular issues are and apply the concepts in the book. And anybody who actually buys the book, again, which is available on April 4th on Amazon, will get a free workbook because I want you to have, when you finish this, a real action plan. So you go, okay, now I know what I'm going to try to do next.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love this so much. And I will be positive that all of the links and information that you just provided are inside of the show notes. But one thing that I'm kind of curious, can you... Explain to me a little bit more, and maybe even the best way to do that is maybe through an example, if you have one, of what is the difference in PR parenting and parenting?
1: Whenever we approach something, we go, how on earth are we going to handle this? How do we instill confidence in our children? How do we get them to practice their writing and not arch their back? How do we prepare them for any kind of danger out there from bullying to, forgive me, but shootings out there, you know, that's become kind of commonplace and things of that nature. So parenting, you basically compare notes with others, as we do with PR parenting, but PR parenting is a new approach and a new way of thinking of things, because I don't think anybody's put PR and parenting together in the same breath until now. So let me give you an example. Do you have kids, Kevin?
0: I do not. I
1: have a dog. You do not. (laughs) You have a dog. All right. So your dog is your target audience. (laughs) And for parents, (laughs) your dog or your pet or your child, however you want to look at it, your goldfish, what have you, is your target audience. Okay. So an example, one of my favorite examples is how to use a PR practice to... Get your child to practice the writing skills, because writing skills are really important in order for you to be able to ask for what you want in a coherent way, to explain yourself creatively, to ultimately be able to write those college applications or those job applications, or at the very simplest form of it, to send a clear text message. And what's the goal? So that our message is received the way it's intended, right? That's the goal of any kind of writing, right? So in order to achieve whatever your goal is. So in public relations, writing skills are really important. And we all know that, like, I'll give you an example of a press release. There's no such thing as the perfect first draft of a press release. You write your first draft, and then whoever on the team, whoever's on the team looks at it, client, colleagues, what have you, and everybody makes their comments, and then eventually you get a final draft. So, let me ask you something. Do you remember something biological that happened to you in first grade? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, think think dental. <laughs> oh, losing teeth. Yes, bravo. Okay. What do you learn <laughs> in the first grade? What's one of the things that you learn in the first grade? How to construct a sentence. Yes! Well done. Because in kindergarten, we learn our alphabet. In first grade, we learn how to put a sentence together, right? Subject, verb, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So what happens when your tooth falls out? What would you normally do with that?
0: Uh, put it under the pillow and wait for the tooth theory.
1: Correct. Bravo. Okay. Now, <laughs> what if we combine? <laughs> so now you're going to see the the way of PR parenting thinking. What if we combine? The natural tradition, the natural rite of passage of your tooth falling and putting it under your pillow, with the fact that you're learning how to construct sentences in class. What if we say to our child or children or your dog or pet, if they're particularly talented <laughs> and say, okay, let's write a letter to the tooth fairy so that we can ask the tooth fairy exactly what we wanna get for that tooth. And all of a sudden, we have a practical writing assignment where the child is encouraged to document their interests on paper with skills that they just learned in school to achieve a goal that they want with the tooth fairy. So my kids would write these letters. I would help them with, or my husband would help them with the content and with the spelling they'd write their letter. And then I would sit next to them after they were finished. And in a very soft color, I would edit them. I would say, okay, this is fabulous. What a wonderful first draft. Would you mind if I show you another way to perhaps approach this? And they go, okay, sure. And then with a very pretty color, whether it's pink or blue or green or yellow, but never red, Because fire engine red is just alarming. You know, I always felt bad when I got something with fire engine red. So I was just nice, soft, relaxing colors. And we would edit the paper together. What do you think about this? How about that? And then after the paper was edited, then my child would write it over again to make it pretty for the tooth fairy, put it in an envelope or staple it shut, take the tooth with the letter and put it under their pillow and wait for the surprise in the morning. This way, not only did they get an opportunity to express themselves in writing, they also practiced their copywriting skills. They achieved a goal. They increased their confidence and self-esteem, because I told them all along the way how fabulous things were, and they get a payoff. So using something that's traditional... A traditional rite of passage to hone writing skills is a way to get your child to practice and want to practice because there's an end. There's an end. There's a mean. There's a there's a reason for it.
0: Wow. And so basically, <laughs> what what I love about this is, I mean, it's, I mean, a very simple form of of you know this this example that you've just shared, but it's kind of just a sense of combining different aspects and so I must think of it is is taking what they're learning in school and putting it into real world application but done with this kind of fun non-school like way where it's it's you could call it homework in a sense but it's not presented as something bad it's it's something fun and encouraging fun encouraging it
1: gets you what you want. Because sometimes it might not be money they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for a chocolate bar. Maybe they're looking for a Barbie doll. Maybe they're looking for whatever. They can document it in their letter to the Tooth Fairy. Dear Tooth Fairy, I would love to have this, but if you run out of it because you have so many kids to deliver to tonight, then this would be okay too. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Whatever, Whatever works for You. I mean, every household has their own interests and parents have their own rules about certain things. So whatever works for you, the the point of the exercise is to get your kid to practice their writing, practice their sentence construction, practice how to ask for something and advocate for themselves, which later in life becomes an extremely important exercise as you are Filling out those college applications or filling out those job applications or filling out whatever application you happen to be filling out. And even in text messages, I've been known to get text messages with horrible autocorrects. And I send back a reply to my child and say, was that a bad autocorrect or did you forget your English? Please write that again. (laughs) You know, so everything's (laughs) kind of game. This is a practice that we did anytime there was any, type of traditional rite of passage I, i'm jewish and i brought my kids up jewish and we had bar and bat mitzvahs and there is a speech during the bar bat mitzvah so this practice that we started with the tooth fairy became very useful when they went wrote their bar and bat mitzvah speeches and everything in between
0: i love it i love it now thinking about this i'm kind of curious do you have an example again thinking more older kids teenagers they're they're in high school and in you know is there an application kind of still the 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 whole idea of pr parenting is there a kind of an example that you can think of off the top of your head for like that age group that that maybe signals a different kind of side to this
1: in terms of copywriting or in terms of something completely different?
0: I'm thinking just something totally different. Just, you know, any kind of scenario that a parent would be facing with, with say, a teenager. You know, I, I'm just kind of curious. Just
1: Absolutely. OK, so teenagers, they get into a big mess all the time. I had three of them at one point. So... One of the things that we do in public relations before an interview or before a presentation, but let's just keep it simple, an interview is we prep and we media train our clients so that they can give the best interview, right? That's the bottom line, keep it simple. So we find out who the interviewer is and where it's going to be and what time it's going to be and how long it's going to be and what the background of the interview is and what the angle is that they're going for. We get all the who, what, where, when, why, and how, correct? Yep. So with my teenagers or with our teenagers, if we want to apply PR practices out there and to anybody who's listening, when your kids are going out to a party or they're going out with friends someplace, run through the who, what, where, when, and why with them, run through expectations of what could happen that evening based on what you know to be true. Basically, the concept is to prepare your child for whatever scenarios could transpire that afternoon, that evening, that weekend. So just like we prepare our clients for a media interview, exercise the same practice to prepare your teenager for whatever they might encounter within the hours that follow. So that they have in their mind what they know they need to do in the event that things get a little sticky or things are okay, what to do. So that there's always an action plan for the good as well as for the challenging and let them know as the executive producer or as the PR person in their life that you are there to support them in any way, shape or form. I'll give you an example actually My daughter, one of my daughters recently went to a party and it was a half an hour away and there was a bus that was picking the kids up. And I told her, if this happens, this is what you do. If that happens, this is what you do. But in any case, if you find that you're in a situation that is uncomfortable, I don't care what time it is, you call me and I will come get you. Well, two o'clock came around and I looked at my phone And I saw that she had texted texted me, as she agreed to do every hour, just to let me know everything's okay. Then at 2.30, the phone rings. This is in the morning, not in the afternoon, mind you. Okay. And I thought, why is she calling me? And she says, well, somebody sprayed tear gas in the party area. I said, are you outside? She said, yes. I immediately went outside. I said, stay outside. I'm on my way. So I had prepped her. Before she had left, we reviewed all sorts of scenarios of the good that could happen as well as the bad. We certainly didn't expect tear gas, but let's just put that in the form of the unexpected because we need to always prepare for the expected as well as for the unexpected. But she knew that if there was trouble, no matter what time of day or night, that she could call me and I will step up. So that's what I did, Kevin. (laughs) I threw on my clothes and I ran out to get her at the party, which was a half an hour away. That's an example of a PR practice used and applied to people, parents with teenagers. And that literally happened within the last couple of months. So I'm still PR parenting.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I love this so much. And I love these these examples of like that is is because I think it's so easy to understand it when we use examples and like that, a real life example that so many parents face when they have a teenager. And so that is just so awesome. I love this. Now remind me again. I where are people gonna be able to find your book?
1: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, my book portal. <laughs> for
0: example, but the easiest is Amazon, I believe. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I have one last question and that is for the parent listening to this today and they're already thinking, oh baby, I got to get this book. What is your hope? If you could have one hope that happens when somebody reads this book, what is the one thing that you hope they come away with?
1: First of all, they're going to be able to exhale, knowing that they have a plan in their hand. I want parents to feel a sense of power in their hand. That's why it's called the power of PR parenting. And I want them to feel a little bit more at peace and to have a route that will make parenting easier for them. That's the whole goal of the exercise. I would like them to benefit from my 2020 hindsight and my experience and my expertise so that they have it easier and that they can pay it forward to their kids in the next generations.
0: Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it so much. Margie, thank you so much for sharing a piece of your story with me, with my audience. I, I, I love your sense of adventure. I love this incorporation of career in with your, your personal life in, in, taking the good aspects of this career, turning it into to this whole new movement of PR parenting. I think it's just absolutely fascinating. And I just I want to sincerely thank you for being a guest on the podcast.
1: Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for your enthusiasm and thank you to your audience for listening And I am so much looking forward to keeping in touch with you and with everybody in the audience and to helping in any way that I possibly can. It's genuine and with much gratitude.
0: Well, fabulous. Well, thank you. And for you listening today, I hope you have enjoyed today's interview with Margie. Please be sure to check out today's episode show notes, where you can find all of Margie's information, all of the links and resources mentioned All of that is there for you. Easy access. So please don't worry about rewinding and trying to jot anything down. I have it all presented right there inside of the episode show notes for you. With that said, this is Kevin Lowe with Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. Get out there and take on the day. Hey, real quick before you go, I have one last thought to leave you with. I, of course, hope that you've enjoyed today's episode, but more importantly, I want to remind you that I never want you to listen to an episode of this podcast to hear something that I have to say or that my guest has to share and think, wow, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could overcome my own challenges and do the great things that they are doing, but I just can't. Well, friend, that's where you are wrong. You are capable, you are able, and you darn sure are deserving of having all that you can imagine in this life. There's nothing special about me or any guests I have on this podcast. We are all just normal people trying to make it in this life. And so I encourage you to take a look at yourself in the mirror and remind yourself that you know what? I can do it too.